0: This is Magna Carta Pro Bono Radio.
1: Hello, and thank you for joining us for another episode of Magna Carta Pro Bono Radio on 99.1 CGM. My name is Akil Shah, and I'm joined by my friend and colleague, Surat Mustafa. Hey,
0: guys. How's it going?
1: And if you're joining us for the very first time, hello to you.
0: Hello. Welcome back. Happy
1: New Year. Happy New Year, everybody. 2019. 2019. Is this your year, Surat? This is my year. Okay, good. This is my time. This is oh, Perfect. Perfect.
0: How was your break, Akil?
1: My break was good. Very restful, relaxed a lot, uh, got up to all kinds of shenanigans. Um, So, but yeah, happy to be back. Uh, I was getting a little antsy towards the end of the break. Yeah. Wanted to kind of get back into the swing of things. Um, but yeah, yeah, very overall, pretty good. How was your break?
0: That oh, was great. uh, the power of Netflix it truly the is the power a special of Netflix,
1: thing. yeah, yeah yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, there were days where I would just watch Netflix all day, oh, yeah. all day long.
0: It was a restful holiday, and I'm glad to have uh head back uh, home and spend time with family and friends. but uh today is a special day because we are back in the studio and we are yes, here, sir. and we're about to deliver some really really epic magic for our audience and our listeners today. So, yeah, just a little bit of housekeeping before we get started.
1: Yeah, so just a reminder to all of our viewers, anything said on C-Jam in partnership with Magna Carta, Pro Bono Radio are the opinions of those individuals only and do not reflect C-Jam as a whole.
0: And with that being said, let's get the show on the road. Tim Hortons Coffee is amazing.
1: I I don't think I agree with that. Why? I think McDonald's coffee is a lot better than Do you really, Tim's though? coffee. Do I really think that? Yeah, I, I, I really think that.
0: You're not making that same comment from last time about not watching a single Rocky movie and John no, and Sylvester no, no, or Stallone, no, no, right? No, no, you, no. Um, you've actually had both McDonald's coffee and yes. Tim Hortons coffee. Yes, I have. And, you,
1: okay. and McDonald's coffee, I can, I can confidently okay. say, is better tasting. Well, that's actually it. I mean, it's just better tasting.
0: Okay i I it sounded I like I was gonna say a lot, but I am super I excited for Roll up the Rim which is coming up yes. in two weeks yes, I'm hoping I can uh
1: have you ever won anything like actually interesting my luck
0: I used to win a lot back in undergrad uh as of late, I have just been collecting a lot of please try again <laughs> uh, <laughs> i've only life. ever
1: I've only ever won like a donut or a coffee or something i'm I'm, I'm holding out for the for the car or the t v but we'll, we'll see. see what happens yeah
0: <laughs> exactly. So semester one is officially in the books, Mm -hmm. which means semester two is on the rise, and we are halfway done our journey in one out. How are you feeling about that, Akil?
1: I'm feeling pretty good. Um, First semester was a lot of fun, Mm -hmm. a lot of studying, a lot of grind, but um, really, really thankful to be here, I think. Uh, Got to know a lot of of people in the class, Um, worked pretty hard, Um, so looking forward to continuing the trend in... In this second semester now.
0: Uh, What about you? I'm totally anticipating the results as well. Uh, The midterms were definitely a humbling experience for me personally. Uh, You know what they say patience is a virtue. Yes they do say that. So just gonna wait it out and see how how well or how much learning I have left to do for the rest of the semester. But again it was uh, a very humbling experience um, writing my first law exam as well. I guess we'll just have to wait and see how it all unfolds.
1: Mm -hmm. Do you have any particular goals for second semester? What are you looking forward to? Uh,
0: I definitely have a fitness goal. Um, Oh, really? Personally, is it a New Year's resolution? uh, You can say that. Sure. I I have been consistently, and by consistently I'm saying the last week Mm -hmm. uh, since we've only started 2019 (laughs) as of the last few days. Uh, I have been waking up every morning uh, at 6 a.m. That is my compromise from the book that I was inspired by over the holidays. It's called The 5 AM Club okay. by Robin Sherma. Um, a few of my friends have uh, invested into some of the rules and, and guides of waking up at 5 AM and how it increases efficiency and productivity. Oh, okay. um, so I'm challenging myself to wake up every morning, not at 5 AM, but at 6 AM, mm-hmm. uh, because I definitely am a nocturnal individual who likes to work uh, at night, um, very productive in the night. But uh, I feel like giving myself this opportunity to wake up early um, will give me a challenge to not only go to the gym, but uh, start my day off uh, in a more productive manner. So that's one of my, I would say, one of my greatest goals uh, going into the new year. Um, And then also just doing as well as I can uh, with my courses, but engaging myself in the classroom um, and speaking about, you know, contemporary issues because I feel like being in law school, we have this incredible opportunity to uh, raise our opinions and our voices and discuss certain um, discourses that you may see on Twitter mm-hmm. or on Facebook or different mediums. But you have this intellectual space now uh, to have uh, great debates with folks who come from all walks of life. Mm-hmm. So my personal challenge is to enter in those realms in a meaningful way and engage in those discussions. Mm-hmm. How nice. about you? Okay, what, what are some of your goals for, uh, for the year?
1: Uh, some of my goals, I think I agree with you. I think I want to to engage a little bit more with my classes things like that um, it's still early early on but i think it's a really good idea to set up good networking try to feed off the ideas of others try to see how you can fit into a bigger picture how you can improve the existing system so i think just kind of talking a little bit more to professors talking a little bit more to other students that'll go like a really long way i think
0: that's a great uh, that's a great goal to set yourself for, and I you know I want to be able to support you in any way I can. So oh, thanks, man. Don't worry, man. I, I think we're we're in this together. Um, yeah, for sure. Especially when it comes to those classroom discussions. Um, how about uh, the whole buzz around the summer employment? Are you planning on working this summer at all?
1: I I'm trying I'm trying to find. Um Some place to work this summer. Um, Now, as a one L, we've been we've been told not to not to hold our breath too much, not to get our hopes up too high, because supposedly there aren't too many one L summer positions just kicking around. I think those are reserved mainly for two L students who are a little bit more serious in their in like their job prospects or what they're part of their journey that they're on. Um, I am going to apply for a couple of different one L summer positions. It is. a little, bit, uh, a little bit stressful just trying to get all your application stuff in a row. But uh, the career services has been, has been really helpful, actually. They put on a few different um, uh, seminars in the MOOC courts. I think there's some coming up as well where they offer some assistance on how to prepare your resume, how to prepare a cover letter. So that's all been really helpful as well. Um, but uh, that's sort of my idea for the summer. If I can't land a job uh, this summer – no worries. Not gonna hold my breath too too much, but uh, if not, I'll just find something something cool to do. Maybe I'll just travel. Start a blog.
0: No, I love your outlook on that. You have a solid game plan, and again, um, I think we're all in the same boat. And given the fact that we do have um, limited chances, I would say mm-hmm. to to be employed this summer. Right. Um, there's no harm in trying. Sure. And I think that goes for myself too. I'm looking both at uh, summer employment um, within Windsor and back in Toronto. Uh, we'll see how it goes. Again, uh, I'm not too worried myself, uh, given that this is our first attempt. Mm-hmm. Um, I think keeping an open mind and connecting and networking meaningfully is probably the best uh, avenue that I'll personally be taking. And uh, hopefully, um, you know, we can say to ourselves that we found something great in the months to come. Sure, yeah. So have you heard about the buzz with regards to this law school renovation project going down?
1: Mm-hmm, I have. So uh, we finally got word recently that the U Windsor Law Building will be slated for some very exciting renovations uh, in the coming years. For those of you who don't know, uh, it's been officially announced that the law building will undergo renovations. Um, it's been a bit of a, a, bit of a long process. Uh, for those of you who don't know, um, there have been a lot of discussions in the past about how the law school would be renovated, how it would be updated, um, because there's a lot of things that, while are really, while they're really good about the building, uh, they are a little outdated. So recently, there's been there was some talk about moving the law school to the Paul Martin building in the downtown core of Windsor, but plans to renovate the building uh, after the were canceled after the Liberal government refused to put up funding for the building. That decision was then reversed again, and oh, then wow. they announced funding to help move before calling the election this past summer Hmm. Um, and at that point the law school was considering both the options of moving and renovating uh, the current building as a next step but then we had an election uh, in November the newly elected PC government uh, didn't want to commit to the funding uh, which squashed the plans for moving to the Paul Martin building Um, so now the decision has been made that uh, the existing building will be renovated amazing uh, so Dean Waters, in an interview with the CBC, says, It's been a whirlwind, a little bit, but I'm pleased to have some finality. Uh, speaking about the law building, he says, It's a modernist gem in many ways, but things like accessibility, natural light in the teaching spaces, flexible learning spaces, those kinds of things weren't there in the building. Uh, the ra- the cost will range between $15 million and $25 million, which was the estimate during the initial request for proposals. Um and it looks like um the building will be ready uh, after renovations fully completed in the year 2021. So how do you feel about that?
0: I personally love the idea. I think it's very timely for the school to look into um some much needed renovations, especially with regard to uh access to space mm-hmm. and uh having a certain um population of our community. Um be catered to Mm -hmm. especially when it comes to disability and personally for me that is our home for the next three to four years so Mm -hmm. why not take a few steps to make it more aesthetically pleasing but also welcoming uh, to the greater community so I think it's a fantastic idea and I'd support it 100%.
1: So aside from the renovations of our building we also have some really exciting and positive news coming out of the pro bono world don't we?
0: Yeah, special shout out to Queen's Law and Queen's Pro Bono Students Lead uh, as they currently challenged a bill. And this is basically PBSC in action, in my opinion. Mm I was reading an article and I came across this uh, where one of the many advantages of volunteering with Pro Bono Students Canada is the opportunity to see work have an impact in the real world. And at Queen's, their PBSC chapter uh, had provincial implications through a bill being brought to Queen's Park which was initially brought a few months ago. But it's just amazing to see volunteers at PBSC be on the front line of positive change on the legislative level. Mm-hmm. I think that's incredible. Um, the current story goes uh, through generous donations of their law associations, their youth ID clinic, uh, found a workaround to resolve a fee issue for some clients in Kingston. Um, and ultimately what happened was the PBSC student team uh, sent a letter to their uh, MPP, Sophia Kowala, detailing the issue. And ultimately, um, they had significant interest and appreciation expressed by many agencies working with individuals with low income and clients who were struggling with other barriers, uh, the access to employment and uh, the poverty issues that are underlying in Kingston. And for me personally reading this article, it resonated with me because that's something that I gave my path as a volunteer for PBSC to make those impacts Uh, at a local level. So a huge shout-out to Queen's uh, PBSC chapter. Um, They've made some positive changes, and uh, I'm sure we can all take a lesson and be inspired by them for sure. For sure, yeah. Today we have a solid lineup of uh, two individuals who have both worked in a um, setting with youth and students alike. Uh, One specifically has been an accolade in the education industry, uh, and one... The other, rather, has been a volunteer directly here at PBSC Windsor. So before we introduce um, both of these guests to our show, I want to take the opportunity to maybe discuss some more personal tidbits and experiences of our own and uh, shed some light on how important it is to be working with with youth and empowering them. So, Akil, why don't you give us a little bit about your own personal experiences to kick it off?
1: Yeah, for sure. So I've been fortunate enough the last five or six years to be volunteering with a group called Towards Ahimsa. Uh, Basically, it's a nonprofit organization that holds a lot of different activities, but mainly what they do is they hold summer camps for kids or youth um, between the ages of 12 and 17. So it's been a really, really enlightening experience the the years I've worked with them. uh, It's a really, really great organization organization. Uh, it is it is uh, a group that focuses on both outdoor education and learning sessions. A lot of the curriculum is based around teachings about nonviolence, about simple living, healthy living, um, and basically inclusion and equality. It's been a really refreshing and meaningful part of my life. The last uh, I've worked with some really really amazing people who are all very committed, very devoted, and just very very good people to know. Um, and. Just It's always really meaningful to to work with the kids, to um, learn about their experiences, learn where they're coming from, and to say goodbye to them at the end of camp and have them say to you that they had a really nice time, that they want to keep in touch with all the other friends they made at camp, and that they're looking forward to come back next year. So that really motivates us to, you know, work hard, put together a really excellent camp experience, make sure it's meaningful, make sure it's memorable, make sure that those connections are made. So it's uh, it's been like a really, really cool part of my life for sure.
0: That's incredible, Akil. Thank you. That's amazing. On that note, I would like to take the opportunity now to introduce our first guest on the show. Mm-hmm. Her name is Alicia Ebert. I will call her Miss Ebert just because she is my fourth grade teacher. <laughs> wow. And uh, she has agreed to come on the show and um, be part of this Uh, episode as we are talking about youth. I felt it was uh, timely and also very appropriate given the fact that she has done some incredible work uh, with at-risk youth but also mentoring and empowering um, the youth of tomorrow for a number of years. She happens to be my fourth grade teacher as well so she does have a hand in in my development as well personally but uh, it gives me great pleasure to introduce Miss Ebert. So for our viewers listening in we hope you enjoy this piece.
2: I've heard you before. <laughs> oh, perfect. Met <laughs> you. Yeah. yeah. But you don't have to call me Miss Everett, guys.
1: <laughs> no, I I, I I am absolutely not going to call a teacher by her first name. That's I have a rule. That's I, no bueno. Yeah, no. I
0: have I have a rule. I will I know she's saying that, but I have to hear this. In I, you're
2: making me feel like way closer to retirement than
1: I should. Be. <laughs> <laughs> okay, fine. I can call it. What's your first name, sorry?
2: Elisa Alisa? Alicia.
1: Alicia. Okay, perfect. I can do it because I did not have grade four with you. I had grade four with Mr. Sinclair, who I will call Mr. Sinclair, by the way. Uh, But, uh, Surat, we'll we'll, uh, we'll address you more formally, I suppose.
0: Yeah, it's just, uh, I have. All right. I hope that's okay.
2: No problem.
0: So, welcome back. And, uh, you know, this is our second episode, um, given that we... Took a bit of a break uh, since 2018, and um, I thought it'd be really cool to have you on in, on air as well, just given that we're talking today about our youth project and focusing especially on the education system. And as, a, as an educator yourself, um, we really want to know your experience and how you... able to manifest your journey as an educator and working with the specific um, group that you're working with now so if you could just tell a little bit about yourself and um, tell us a bit more about the path that you chose that would be great so we can start off from there sure yeah go ahead
2: um okay thank you so um i guess i've been with the board for 17 years now um and i've worked in a lot of different neighborhoods and Schools that have allowed me to sort of experience various life experiences and different cultural backgrounds, um, different needs of students. Um, I started out as a classroom teacher, uh, just a regular class, and then I moved into uh, special education and working with different exceptionalities and behaviors. Uh, Then I got to work as an ESL teacher, uh, with English language learners and newcomers. And then finally, now I'm working with um, the Caring and Safe Schools Department, which works with at-risk youth and students who've been suspended, expelled, or students who, like I said, are at risk, and we provide them assessment and support in academic and non-academic areas.
0: Where, where so, are you working right now?
2: Uh, in Toronto.
0: Okay, and what school?
2: Yeah. Um, I'm at, in Jane and Finch area uh, at Shoreham, which was down the street from York.
0: <laughs> that's actually really cool. I, I got to volunteer with Shoreham Public School back at uh, York as well. We did a, a kids' day. It's sort of like a camp for uh, yeah. the students there with Shoreham Public School, so that's definitely close to home. Um,
2: how interesting is that, Yeah, what
0: a, what a small world. <laughs> it's crazy how the lines... And this is just you know, us talking about this for the first time too. So yeah. <laughs> I find that really cool. What sort of experiences do you find are important for the education system to recognize um, in order to work with at-risk youth?
2: Well, <laughs> definitely um, you've got to be in the, the job to really want to um, engage students. You really need to think outside the box and try to meet all Student needs and look at their strengths and really believe that they can all be successful uh, because most of the students that I work with come in with a complete opposite attitude. Like teachers have given up on them, or like they students or they're you know they're struggling and um, they don't have a lot of trust in teachers um, and they have you know some low self esteem issues as well as other things going on, but. Um, I think it's really important that, um, especially we've had a lot of cuts to, um, special education. Uh, more students are in regular classes. less support with educational assistance and less specialized programs to meet needs of students. Um, and I think that's something that really has to be, uh, looked at more closely. Uh, as well as, uh, mental health. Uh, we have a lot of students with mental health needs uh, and trauma issues with trauma and there needs to be more focus and support for that Um, as well as, you know, infusing more of the non-academic. You know, we do character education and everything like that, but I think part of our program um, in Caring and Safe Schools is really focusing on non-academics, such as um, you know, like healthy relationships and decision-making and anger management and restorative practices, which I'm sure you are familiar with restorative justice. But these kinds of things really set students up for real life and for success. And I think that it's a really important um, piece to incorporate in the education system. Um, And then another big piece is in the communities, we really need to have, more programs to support students outside of school and in the community. So whether it's extracurriculars that have to do with academics or sports or art, job training, apprenticeship, mentoring, you know, um, setting students up with a peer or an adult that they connect with, these are things that um, are really key to um, student success.
0: Excellent. That's awesome. In terms of feedback, in your own personal experience, what are some of the challenges that you've had, um, and how long have you been working with these at-risk youth, uh, specifically at Shoreham?
2: Well, okay, so (laughs) with Caring in Safe Schools, it's something I've always wanted to do um, right from university. It's It's an area of education that I've always wanted to work in, but it's something that you have to apply for. So it's a contract position. Okay. So I kind of had to wait until there was an opening and then apply. And then once you apply, you get a three-year contract. So I'm on my third contract, which will be up, I guess, the end of next year. So, And we've moved about, five, I want to say, four times in five years. So I've been all over the city. So Shoreham, specifically, we just set up this program this year. Um, but I've been at Lawrence Heights. I've been at... Um, Avondale, which is at Young and Finch, and I've been in the Junction, and Dundas. So, I've been around.
0: <laughs> awesome. What are some of the more gratifying moments or the, the stuff that you are really proud of in terms of working with these students and some that you look back to as you know this makes the job rewarding uh, for you? What are, what are some of those moments that you feel that you can share?
2: Um, well, I mean, to me, every day is rewarding because um these guys come to school every day. Right. I mean, they get on the bus and they come and, you know, some of them are always regular. Attend- students, that attend school regularly. Right. So for them to come every day and to put forth effort, you know, I try to make it as engaging as possible for them because like I said, sometimes they don't have the best attitude towards school. Like they're, you know, they're jaded or they don't trust teachers. So, building those relationships with them and, you know, um, having them say to you, you know, uh, no teacher ever said, you know, I could do this or I was going to be able to go in this direction or, you know, I didn't think anybody would believe in me, um, is really rewarding to me, but it's really not about me. (laughs) It's about them. So I just, um, I just find it a, an incredibly rewarding job and I'm so grateful that you know I can build these relationships with these students and you know I hear from them sometimes after they've left the programs and they tell me how they're doing and, and it's it's really good to hear that so yeah, no, yeah. For
0: sure I um, I definitely remember those moments when we were uh, back in the day when I was one of your students and you know Something that you've always strived for is empowering your students and making them believe in their goals and their dreams. So, um, you know, it's something that I personally felt uh, with you. And I think it's amazing that we're able to share this space right now, um, you know, many years later. <laughs> and well, it's, thank you. <laughs> it's super cool to, to be discussing this. And you're continuing the pursuit that you've always set for yourself, um, which is inspiring for, to me, at least. It's very inspiring.
2: Thank you. Well, you know Um, every. Sorry, I was just gonna say. No, every student, like, you know, it may not be one teacher, but it's a different teacher in high school or middle school or primary school. But Mm -hmm. all it takes is really one person to connect with to you know build that confidence to show you that you know where your strengths are, or even where you can recognize yourself where the strengths are. I think that's you know. That makes all the difference in somebody's life. Like I had a teacher like that. You know, have a teacher like that. Like you know,
1: makes a huge difference. <laughs> yeah, that's that's really true. I mean, like you said, it all it takes is like one teacher who um, kind of unlocks a student's potential or or guides them in the right way. Um, so I always thought, like you know, maybe more so in university, I thought like you know. Um, when I had some some really some really inspiring some really good eloquent professors, and then I had some other ones that maybe not so much, and it was it was really interesting to see like oh you know one professor or one teacher can like turn you on to something that you, maybe you didn't think you were interested in or something that you thought you'd be good at. So it's mm-hmm. really incredible to see like how one person. Um can shape like the future of of, of uh, students and just people they interact with, which is really um one question I had is just, you know how do we how do you get general population people to to care about at risk youth? because like one of the arguments i I kind of hear against um, you know uh, school programs or or things that concern um, kids who need a bit of, a bit more assistance is you know that means you know uh taxes go towards this or it could be going towards something else or a lot of parents will say like oh it's it's not really my kids so i don't i you know why is that my problem so so how do we get people in a general sense to to care about these programs to invest in these kids and um you know get them to to be on board with with these kinds of things just in a general kind of philosophical sense
2: um that's a good question um Basically, I guess we kind of assume there's a stigma attached with, uh, like, at-risk use, as you're saying. But Mm -hmm. the bottom line is is that, you know, any child could potentially become at-risk. I mean, it really comes down to disengagement, right? So, Mm -hmm. most of the time, you see a behavior is a symptom of something bigger. So... You know, if they're not learning in class, then maybe the behavior is a symptom of them being, you know, not engaged or they're not connecting or they're, you know, they're not understanding the way that you're teaching. So, you know, it it doesn't take a lot to become that student. And Mm -hmm. at the end of the day, any it's all about choices. So the choices that we make could lead us down one way or another way. So I don't know if, like, the term at-risk use encompasses every facet that, that I see in the classroom. Um, but at the end of the day, all of these students are going to be taking care of us one day um, and running society, and we have to invest in them because they're the future. So we can't be only, you know, putting all of our efforts in one area. Like mm-hmm. all all students deserve to learn and all of them deserve to be successful. So, and some of them, it's really not, um, it's really got nothing to do with them because they're, they're just like, it's, it's not their fault to be in the spot that they're in. So I think we have to be, you know, open minded in that way and not selfish and, I don't know. there's not really a good answer, I don't think for that. But. No, no, i think I think
1: I totally agree with you because I, I I think you I really agree with um, you know, anyone can be that student that requires help. It's not like it's a certain type of student or a certain type of uh, even socioeconomic kind of student. I mean, certainly there are you know um, trends maybe we can we can look to, but it could be any <laughs> student that maybe just has one. Um, issue in their life that they're dealing with that they don't know how to deal with or something new that comes up that they don't know how to deal with and all of a sudden, you know, uh, their life is kind of put in disarray or they don't know how to um, deal with the certain challenges that come their way and all of a sudden, um, you know, uh, that potential maybe is is eroded or lost in some way and that's a very kind of unfortunate thing if they can't can't deal with it, right? So it could be anybody for sure.
2: Well, and uh, as well, it comes down to opportunities, right? Mm -hmm. And, you know, education really is at the core of of success. So if we give these students the opportunity to be successful in education, there's a way to break that cycle of whatever, you know, whether they're living in an area they don't want to be in or they are experiencing poverty or, you know, like the opportunities become bigger and wider for students when we provide them the education they need and deserve. Mm -hmm. Right. For sure. So,
0: So the ultimate question is, what would you like to be able to say to future educators and those working with youth to take away from your experiences as a person who has worked with youth to be able to empower them
2: for tomorrow? You have to go into teaching because you want to make a difference and you truly believe that every student can be successful and that every Mm -hmm. child can learn. It may not be all the same way, but you've got to have that, you know, motivation be creative and flexible and
0: and engage your your students. That was Alicia Ebert, who is an educator working with at-risk youth and continues to make a difference in the lives of youth and students across the board. This leads us now to our intermission break. We'll be right back after these messages, so keep it locked right here on CJAM 99.1.
1: Surette, Yo. I think it's time.
0: It's time.
1: Wasn't that fun? Let's try something
3: else.
0: You know, it's the last time you played this game, you did a really good job, with Kill. Oh, thank you. I have to give you a special shout out to that. But I'm, I am a little disappointed that you didn't get to watch or haven't. Have you watched
1: any of the Rocky films since we last No, pop- I haven't. Okay, you
0: need to get on that.
1: Okay, I'll do that.
0: Okay, but I'm excited. So you got some stuff lined up for me today?
1: I do. Yeah. So for those of you who remember, this is uh, this is two ratios and an obiter. It's a little fun game that Surratt and I have cooked up. It's uh, similar to two truths and a lie, but it's got a bit of a law legal spin to it. So this time I'm gonna be I'm gonna be asking Surat the tough questions. Oh boy! He's gonna have to see if he, he if he has the answers, if he's putting that law degree to to use here. I'm gonna ask three sets of statements. And uh, we're going to have to figure out which ones are the true statements, which ones are the, or which one is the false statement um, out of the three. So uh, you ready to go? I'm ready. So we'll go, uh, we'll start with the first round here. Okay. And here we go. So number one, in Canada, there are limits to how many coins can be used in a single transaction. So that's one. Number two, in the criminal code, in the criminal code of Canada, It is illegal to perform witchcraft. Hmm. And number three, in British Columbia, moose and deer that are hit by vehicles are entitled to compensation by way of contribution to a wildlife protection fund. So which one? Hmm. So two of those are true. Two of those are true, true statements, true facts. One of them, however, is not. What are you going to say?
0: I'm going to go with... Number two, witchcraft. And three, the bylaw for moose, being truths. Okay. And number one, the limit of coins being the obiter. So the two ratios would be, or the truth rather, would be the two and three, and the obiter Mm. would be number one.
1: Is that your final answer?
0: That is my final answer.
1: That is unfortunately incorrect. Oh, come on. So. Are you kidding me? uh, No, I'm not. Oh, man. Um, I'm already off to a great start. This is awesome. Oh, no. Oh, no. Uh, Under Canada's Currency Act, Mm -hmm. there are, in fact, limits to how many coins can be used in a single transaction. Merchants can refuse your money if you try to buy something with... Notice
0: how you wrote merchants. Like, what are we in, like...
1: (laughs) Well, you know, it's the word.
0: Okay, fair enough.
1: Uh, So, so hold on, hold on. So, merchants can refuse your money if you try to buy something with more than, hold on, $5 in nickels, Mm. $25 in loonies... Or forty dollars in Toonies. So that's, is, that's, those are the max amounts you can. This is use. incredible.
0: I've never heard of this before.
1: Yeah. So uh, I mean, I mean, you could buy things with that much. It's just that they can say no.
0: Yeah. I right? don't know what I was thinking. Thinking witchcraft is even considered uh, a truth. So I just thought maybe somewhere down in some part of our country there there wasn't applicability to that to some uh, extent.
1: Well, apparently in yeah. the criminal code under yeah. section three sixty five. For all you law students, feel free to go ahead and look this up. It is illegal to fraudulently pretend to exercise or to use any kind of witchcraft, sorcery, enchantment, or conjuration, or to tell fortunes for payment.
0: Hmm. You know, as a Harry Potter fan, I do feel...
1: You feel personally attacked?
0: Somewhat. (laughs) (laughs) That's really interesting. And the last one about the moose?
1: Uh, That is the one that is false. That is the the obiter. There is no such law... Um, that says that moose or deer are entitled to compensation when they get hit by cars. Interesting. Okay. All right, I'm 0 for 1 so far. 0 for 1 so far. Let's move on to round number 2. Let's let's see what you got here.
0: Up the ante a little bit here.
1: Number 1. In Toronto, the T-dot, the 6. The 6. It is illegal to hold more than 2 garage sales per year. Number 2. These are awesome, by the way. In Manitoba, when passing a bill... The entire Manitoba legislature, which they call the Legislative Assembly of Manitoba, must be wearing black shoes for all three readings of the bill. Or number three, in the criminal code of Canada, it is illegal to challenge someone to a duel. If you do, it could result in a punishment of up to two years in jail. Which of those are true? Two of them are true. Which one is false? Could you, could you repeat the first one again? I sure can. In Toronto, it is illegal to hold more than two garage sales per year. Like hmm. the, same, the same household. That sounds absurd.
0: But um, what sounds even more absurd is number two. The black shoes, I think, is, uh, is definitely the lie.
1: Is that your final answer? That is my final answer. Ding, 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 ding. Yes! We have it. Which means that under Toronto's municipal code, it is actually illegal to hold more than two garage sales per year. I didn't know that. Those who do could face a fine of up to $5,000. Interesting. So, you know, it's good to have garage sales, but not too many, I guess. Mm -hmm. Um, And furthermore, under the criminal code section 71, it is illegal to challenge or be challenged by someone to a duel. This is considered actually a a serious indictable offense that could result in a punishment of up to two years in jail. Uh, So you were right about the black shoes, although uh, it was somewhat related to this tradition that Canadian finance ministers have. Um, whenever there is a budget day, a new budget that's revealed, uh, there is a tradition that the Minister of Finance should purchase or wear new shoes when the budget is delivered. But there is no such tradition for the Manitoba legislator, the legislature to wear black shoes. Interesting. So good, you're 1-1, one and one, and we come to the final set. Best how do you, how do you feel? How do you feel?
0: I feel like Kobe in the fourth. <laughs> I'm about to take my final shot. And I don't want to disappoint. So give me what you got.
1: Yeah. So here we go. Number one, in Nova Scotia, it is illegal to defame lobsters, crabs, or any kind of seafood. Number two, it is illegal in Canada to intentionally frighten the queen. Or number three, it is illegal to market a product in Canada in a way that would lead people to mistake it for a maple product when it in fact is not one.
0: Wow. Those are tough. So
1: two of those are true hmm. in, this, in this crazy, crazy country we call Canada. One of those is not.
0: They all sound somewhat... Absurd? Yeah, I was going <laughs> to use a different word, but...
1: They're all equally <laughs> absurd.
0: I'm going to say to frighten the queen as a figurehead of our country would be somewhat offensive. So that should be true. Okay. And the third one you said was...
1: Uh, illegal to market a product in Canada in a way yeah. that would lead people to think it was some kind of maple product when it isn't.
0: Yeah, that sounds that sounds somewhat legitimate.
1: We do love our maple syrup. Yeah. I'll yeah, give you I'm, that. I'm
0: sticking to the national code here. Uh, everything that has to do with what makes us Canadian. So those two definitely... Uh, I think those line up pretty well. I'm going to go... And again, number one is just... It just sounds absurd to the mm-hmm. nines. So, <laughs> just for our listeners again, number one was?
1: In Nova Scotia, it is illegal to defame lobsters, crabs, or any kind yeah, of seafood.
0: like, come on. I, I'm going to go with number one as your obiter. Th- that makes no sense. That's my final He's answer. He's just done with it. He's just, get it, out of here. My fi- this, is, this is the shot. I'm taking it. I feel pretty good. I'm going to say number one's a lie.
1: You're right. Woohoo! There he does it. He does it, folks. He just escapes. He escapes... Yes, with, I'd love to thank with my mom, win.
0: my dad. Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, speech. so
1: there are in fact um, laws uh, mm-hmm. about the queen. The queen's peace is so important that there is actually a separate section in the criminal code. It's section forty-nine that states that it is prohibited to uh, intentionally alarm or frighten the queen if she ever that makes sense comes down comes down our way. That is a very serious offense. It could result in a prison sentence of up to fourteen years. Wow. Um, and furthermore, there is a complete set of laws about maple syrup in Canada. Uh, it's the Maple Product Regulations under the Canada Agricultural Products Act. Yeah. It states that no person shall market a product in import, export, or interprovincial trade in such a manner that it is likely to be mistaken for a, ma- for a maple product. Awesome. Yeah, so uh, so now you know a little bit more about what you can and can't do in this, in this great country. Um, I hope you're not intending on frightening the queen anytime soon
0: absolutely not i will because you're gonna go to jail for that yeah no that's not part of my intention i I still can't believe um the idea of wearing shoes uh on budget day (laughs) seems to be a thing but here we are and on that note we have our second interview of the day which is our final segment of this episode and akil why don't you take it away
1: we're going to be interviewing Robbie Cohen. Robbie's a 1L student with us at the University of Windsor. He's taken up a pro bono project this year. He's working at the Windsor Youth Center. Um, so really excited to speak to him about his experiences so far and, and get to know uh, what, uh, what the project is all about. So we really hope you enjoy this piece.
0: At this time, it is my absolute pleasure to introduce our next guest, who is a volunteer at the Windsor Youth Center, and he goes by the name of Robbie Cohen. Hey, Robbie.
1: Hey, how are you? So, Robbie is a fellow 1L student taking on a PBSC project this year. Who calls you Robbie? Like, is it just just, uh,
3: your friends that call you Robbie? No, everybody. uh, Everybody calls me Robbie. um, Does anyone ever call you Robert? Well, actually, yes. My grade two teacher calls me Robert. Really? Yeah. It's actually a funny story. Um,
2: When I was in grade one, yeah, Yeah. well,
3: I'll tell you. When I was in grade one, I uh, had this amazing idea that every... Every even ye- school year, mm-hmm. I would be called Robert, and every odd year, I would be called Robbie. So at the end of grade one, I said, well, next year, I'm going to be Robert. Mm-hmm. So throughout my grade two year, my grade two teacher, Mr. Downey, called me Robert. And then I was Robbie in grade three, and then I, I kind of left it alone. So.
1: Oh, and then it was just Robbie from then yeah, on? Yeah, it was
3: just Robbie. I mean, for, you know, my grade two teacher still calls me Robert, which is super weird, because like, nobody calls me Robert. but. Yeah. Wow, wow. My great idea when I, was in, when I was six years old yeah and uh,
1: speaking of great ideas actually what was the reason you chose to get involved with PBSc this year
3: well Aquila do you know what PBSc stands for
1: pro bono students
3: Canada exactly pro bono and pro bono is something that is is so important in, in today's society mm-hmm. uh, I, I believe that all, all most lawyers or um, as many as possible should work pro bono as much as they can mm-hmm. because we have a, we have an issue with um, with access to justice and, and and the like, and so this pro bono students Canada thing kind of jumped out at me because I know how important pro bono work is. When I started learning about what pro bono students Canada was all about and looking at the various uh, workshops that were available, that's when I noticed the the Windsor Youth Center workshop, and that's when I got interested because I wouldn't have been interested if if there was just you know PBSC and then whatever. I, I wanted to be interested in the specific workshop, so it was it was more so the Windsor Youth Center uh, and less so the PBSC. But the PBSC was a great avenue to work uh, and to volunteer with the Windsor Youth Center.
0: So, as a volunteer, Robbie, describe your workspace and exactly what you do at
3: this clinic. Well, so the workspace uh, is it's a space for uh, people to come in, uh, hang out with with other people, uh, get dinner. Use computers if they if they need to. There's books. There's a piano. Uh, there's a storage room in the basement with canned goods and toiletries and and you know, etc. And so for for me, uh, for me and my my co my teammate Corey, who's in second year at Windsor, uh, he we come in and we sit down. We make it known that we are here for any que- any legal questions. If anyone needs any legal information, of course, we cannot give legal advice, but we make it known that we're here, and anyone can come up to us and ask away. And at that point, we, you know, go to a, a more private spot if they prefer, and uh, hash hash things out, hash whatever they they their questions are out. So, if I'm not mistaken, this
0: is sort of like a drop-in uh, for the youth to come in, and specifically, what age group are we looking at here?
3: Yeah, it's a good question. When I first got started with the youth Center I thought it was going to be kids and children which is uh, something that I was interested in because I have extensive experience working with children the youth uh, here are older youth so from 16 to 25 and the Windsor Youth Center doesn't just limit themselves to 16 and 25 year olds anybody can really drop in uh, from mm-hmm. from what I what I what I've seen it's it's a very nice environment people are Singing, there's music playing. If somebody comes in and can play piano, they play piano, and it's it's a really great environment for for everyone.
0: Awesome. What are you finding the most interesting about your role so far?
3: So we haven't had so much uh, so much um, material to work with yet because nobody okay. had, because on, only one person has really come to us with a with a legal issue. Um, but I expect more more to come, and uh, I really am looking forward to. Uh, working with our lawyer supervisor, uh, and t- when, when we're dealing with these uh, with these legal issues, it'll probably be uh, landlord-tenant issues or or employment issues. So, how have you
1: been balancing uh, your responsibilities at the youth center with classroom work and and studying and things like that?
3: Oh, that's that's no problem. Uh, I I go to the Windsor Youth Center twice a month on uh, Thursday evening for three hours, and I mean, for me, I, I usually can't work at night anyway, mm-hmm. uh, especially after a long week. You need I, – I believe that, that law students need to get out there and, and get some real-life experience, you know, working with, with real people who are, are going to be similar to, to future clients. Yeah. And so I don't really see it as balancing my, my, my schoolwork with this extracurricular. I, I see it as just they're all co-curriculars. Uh, everything everything is integrated with with a law school education, but uh, but for me, I also need interpersonal communication. I'm a, I'm a big extrovert, and if I don't have that, if I'm just studying at home all the time, I will get very stressed out. And so this also helps me with my schoolwork because it allows me to to get some interpersonal uh, connection going throughout the week. Yeah, for
1: sure. I mean, I'm sure like all the projects, but um, yours in particular, I mean, I'm sure it helps to augment and kind of contextualize the things that you learn um, in law school. And like you said, it's like this is all part of a legal education uh, in addition to, you know, book learning, I guess. Um, It's also about interacting with potential um, real life issues and understanding what a lawyer's like real job is in the world. So why is this project important to you? You mentioned that you volunteered with kids in the past. So there must be something that drew you to this project.
3: Well, yeah, I didn't know what the project really entailed. Um, I I knew that it said youth, and I I was actually expecting young you know young children to mm-hmm. I was expecting to be working with young children, and uh, it, it wasn't that. But this this is you know just as good as a, it's a different experience actually than what I'm what I am used to. Mm-hmm. Yes, yeah, so I, I do have extensive experience working with kids from ages seven to sixteen. Mm-hmm. I also experienced you know, at Western in my undergrad. I was a, I was an orientation leader, so I have experience working with you know young adults in in tough transitions in their lives. Sure, um, but I think it's so important to work with with youth, especially who are uh, in positions that are you know uh, very different than my own. Mm-hmm. Uh, one to to be able to learn from other people uh, and garner a different perspective on life and on just daily daily tasks, daily uh, daily life, right? Uh, so that's why it's so important to for me as a future lawyer to uh, interact and connect with people uh, who are frequenting the Windsor Youth Centre uh, to, to get that uh, new, new perspective.
0: Excellent. So as a youth centre volunteer, Robbie, where do you see yourself in five months from now? And when you look back at PBSC and as a volunteer, what is your biggest takeaway?
3: I... I would like to be very comfortable working with and representing anyone. Anyone who who I work with in the future, I want to be able to instantly feel a connection uh, coming from myself to, uh, flowing to my client and from my client flowing to me. And I think the best way to learn that skill, is to do things like like PBSC, is to participate in these programs. And that's a very hard thing to do, and it it takes a long time. And I don't expect to perfect it yet, but this is just the start of my journey. And Surat, Akhil, i got to tell you, I'm very excited.
1: So, Robbie, you clearly have a lot of passion and energy um, in working with with youth. Is working with youth and kids something you want to do in the future?
3: Well, yeah, you know what, Akil, it's a great question. Ideally, yes. I would love to, you know, make a career out of working with, with youth and with children, uh, especially children who really need the help. And mm-hmm. I, I have a friend back home in Toronto who works, she's articling, she's a graduate of Queen's, she's articling with the, the organization that slips my mind, might be Children's Society or Children's Aid. And what she does is, is really amazing work. It's, it's very tough work, though. Mm-hmm. Um so I'm not I'm not sure if my if my if I'll want to do that for my life, but I definitely would like to have some experience in that in that world. Mm-hmm. Uh, but but kind of moving away from my career as a lawyer. Yeah. Do you I've, have any specific ideas about well, about yeah.
1: about, um, about anything?
3: Yeah. Well, absolutely. Well, I think you know, Akila. Um, I, I definitely want to have kids. Uh, my older brothers have kids. I, I, I'm an uncle. My uh, three beautiful nieces. Oh my god. Mm-hmm. And, and I want them to grow up in a society where, where they can really flourish. And one of the things that I, I have been witnessing over the past several years with youth mm-hmm. is this reliance on technology. Sure, yeah. And we haven't really, since this rapid tech boom started, mm-hmm. you know, within the past decade, I don't, there hasn't really been a lot of regulation not regulation I hate the word regulation but we haven't reassessed society hasn't reassessed the impact the negative impacts mm-hmm. of uh, of for example cell phone usage
1: these kids today always on their phones
3: <laughs> well it's true and and uh, you know a lot of the times that they they offer security and, and uh, a way to connect to friends and family but it seems like it's getting too much and I, I would like to see I don't know the government doing something to maybe counter the, the 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 intense reliance that youth seem to be mm-hmm. uh, uh, having with their with their smartphones, I don't know. I think kids should definitely have access to cell phones, mm-hmm. but the the social media, the instant connection to internet, mm-hmm. um, all the time through the day uh, throughout the day is uh, I don't think it's it's a great idea. I think we should we should try to limit it so I, so the reason why I say this is because I, I don't want my, my nieces and my kids to feel like they need to use these these social media devices mm-hmm. because everyone else is using them right so i, I don't know i just I, I i don't know any of the research i don't know you know I, I don't know the real facts of of what this is doing to kids but it just seems like something should happen because even the kids that i work with at a camp you know, when when they're out camp, there's no phones. Mm-hmm. It's just a summer camp. They're outdoors, mm-hmm. and they have told me personally that they feel liberated without their phones. They feel right. they feel like they're liberated from the pressure of social media that they feel back home in the city. Mm-hmm. And I think that's, I think that's very telling.
1: Yeah, I mean, um, there's a lot of there's a lot of new evidence um, that's come out in the last couple of years um, about how constantly being on your phone or constantly monitoring social media just. Has very like negative impact on people. Um, there's like correlations between social media use and like depression and things like that. Um, and yeah, for sure, there's a lot of there's a lot of over reliance on 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 technology and phones. But how am I gonna convince uh, the kids today to get off their phones, stop playing Fortnite, and go outside and read a book? Like, what's what's how do we change the hearts and minds?
3: Well, there's no there's no. There's no convincing. There's no changing. It's just if you if you implement a law, then you know they don't have a choice. <laughs> no, that's kind of a joke. But <laughs> but uh, but I, I generally think that uh, a lot of the times kids have a hard time understanding what's what's best for them mm-hmm. unless they have guidance. Mm-hmm. And this is from my experience at camp. I've seen I've I've had to deal with counselors who were not treating their campers properly, mm-hmm. and it translated to the campers having behavioral issues but once you implement proper strategies to deal with sure. the uh, with, with the behavioral issues you see tremendous improvement so every kid can can be mal- is malleable in this way can be uh, can be helped and can be developed properly and I think that uh, a lot of the times they don't know exactly what's best for them Mm-hmm. Um, but it's hard to tell. Pa- the issue is with parents. It's hard to tell parents not to give your kid an iPad or not to give your kid a smartphone right. because everyone's doing it. Right. And I think if if there's proof or there's evidence that it's bad, mm-hmm. I think that's where maybe the government should step in. And I, I know we've kind of got off topic here, but I you can you can tell I'm very very passionate with with helping kids develop properly and yeah. and you know. Just going out and kicking a soccer ball around.
1: Yeah, I mean, like you said, it's it's a, it's part of an integrative strategy, right? Like, um, I don't think you're advocating like a total ban or something um, on, on on technology in any in all in all its forms. But there has to be some structure to how it's used. Um, it should be used in in productive, meaningful ways that augment or improve um, how we connect with people, how we learn. Um, but also not forgetting. The actual interpersonal um, interaction we have with people, and and seeing kids and youth uh, grow and flourish in a in a very meaningful way.
3: Well, yeah, I, I definitely don't want to ban you know technology. That's yeah, that's, yeah. that's obviously absurd. Yeah, yeah. Um, but like like myself, you can you can understand how addictive cell uh, smartphones are, mm-hmm. and we're yeah, I know. and we're like, we're everybody's on it all the time. Right, and we're we we kind of grew up without like we you know I, I got my first phone in grade 10, first smartphone in i think first year university yeah but i'm still kind of addicted yeah imagine being 11 12 13 yeah and you haven't gone through that developmental stage that very important life stage Mm -hmm. and and what that might do to you so you know we're kind of past it but imagine being in that state it's it's very tough so yeah i'm not i wouldn't i wouldn't advocate to get rid of any sort of technology but uh, some, I, I, if you if you if you if you're asking, are you asking what I, what I actually? I most I mean? certainly am asking. Well, Akhil, uh, I think kids should absolutely have access to cell phones. Sure. But perhaps smartphones should be restricted. Smartphones in terms of instant co- connection to internet. So kids should should be able to use GPS, which I don't think you need internet for. Uh, they should be able to text and call their parents, mm-hmm. you know, friends to make plans. Mm-hmm. But I see kids walking around all the time just staring into their phones, probably looking up the Kardashians. Right. And, and they're not looking up at the world around them. Mm-hmm. And I think that's the problem. And so I, I think we should regulate the smartphone usage. You know, maybe, maybe a certain, uh, up until a certain age you're not allowed to use the Internet on your phone, but you can still have Internet at home on a computer, at school on a computer. I don't know. I'm just kind of s- spit-firing here. Yeah, yeah. But uh, I, I think something needs to happen.
0: All right. With that being said, Robbie, on behalf of cgem and Pro Bono Radio, we'd like to give you a warm thank you for joining us here in the studio. Thank you. Thank you for joining us today. And uh, is there anything else that you want to leave our viewers with today?
3: Well, sure. Yeah. I mean, what what I would say is if you want to have a meaningful experience in, in school, whether it be undergrad, law school, med school, whatever, I find it very meaningful to get involved with the community. You know, whatever that means for you, find what that is and and pursue it. i do wonders for your life. Trust me.
0: Words of wisdom, certified, Robbie Cohen. Thank you so much.
3: Pleasure.
1: So that brings us to an end to our second episode. We hope you
0: enjoyed listening to our segments,
1: our interviews for the day.
0: And also, if you'd like to follow us, you can hit us up on Instagram at PBSC Windsor or follow us on Facebook directly at Pro Bono Students Canada, Windsor Chapter. We'll be back here in about, I would say, two or three weeks from now. But Akil, how are you feeling about that? We're not going to be in the studio for a bit.
1: Yeah, it's uh, going to be a little tough, but I think uh, we can look forward to another show. Well,
0: until then, keep it locked right here on CGMFM 99.1. My name is Rat Mustafa.
1: My name is Akil Shah. And we'll see you soon.